0: So um, what did we do last time I was here doing stuff? The Old Testament. Testament. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you're right. We're going to do the New Testament, but first we're going to recap. What do we remember about what I taught? That my name was in the Bible. Your name was in the Bible. Okay, that's interesting. I did ask about the Old Testament. Your name's in the New Testament. But you're true. We did talk about the whole Bible in general. What do you remember about, okay, Old Testament and what our Bible is and where we get it? <gasps> this is great. I did such a great job. You guys remember everything. Bible Your Bible is a bunch of words. That's true. Anything else? Surely you remember it. You know, you could, you could be wrong. It's okay. You can say the wrong thing. I just want someone to say something. every dot and tittle yeah every time, they every time the word the word Yahweh Y-H-W-H they would have to change their clothes and take a bath and come back to it so if it was like Yahweh I am the Lord Yahweh oh they've had to do it twice it takes time they're very precise they counted the words right anything else What is the Old Testament? That's the time frame that it was written in, yes. Are they scrolls? Yes, they're scrolls. They're written down. Why did they write these things down? The Lord told them to. Thus says the Lord. This is my... my, um, command for the for the Israelites. For the Israelites. For Israel. This is what I'm saying to the Israelites. Part of it, as well, is narrative. It's just simply what happened. History. This thing happened, so we're going to write it down. We're going to keep it. Um, parts of it says, thus says the Lord. And who was it written by? Prophets. Good job. That's the biggest point. Not just any person, not plain Jane down the road or common carry over there. It was written by people who were prophets. One thing I didn't tell you, prophets oftentimes weren't affirmed as prophets until after they were dead and their prophecies came true. And they're like, "Oh, he was he was right." Okay. Also also there are many times that prophets were killed by the people that they prophesied to. That's pretty scary. But why is it important that prophets, it was written by prophets? Because then we know it's from the Lord. We know that the Lord spoke this, it's confirmed. And so when we say that the Bible or the Old Testament, especially, is the Word of God, we know it's the Word of God because it came through the prophets and they were confirmed. And we know that this is the Word of God because they wrote it, not just Isaac down the road, it was just like, ah, I'm going to write this and, you know, give it to a synagogue, and then they're going to teach from it. It was somebody who knew the Lord, had a relationship with the Lord, and wrote things down. Now, Isaac might become a prophet one day. We don't know. Maybe we'll figure that out after he does. But unfortunately, your words won't be scripture. So, now, who wrote the New Testament? More prophets. That's interesting. Wow. Good. Okay. We we'll, we will we'll, uh, explore that, right? We're going to explore that. They're apostles. Most of them. Who are the apostles? Do we know who their names are? Yeah, uh, or, um, are you sure? Peter, Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the the um, mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Mm -hmm. Okay, got your Bibles with you? And turn to the book of Luke. Go to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Can someone read that for me? Verse chapter 6, verse 12. Wait till everyone gets there. Uh, 12 to 17. Okay. Begin, please. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. Stop. What are disciples? Followers? Okay. Sweet. So we have disciples. That's one term. People who follow Jesus. Continue, please. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Stop. Now we have disciples. We have this new term. Apostles. What are apostles? It's a bit more of a closer or a uh, more defined term. So Jesus had many disciples, hundreds of people followed him, but his apostles he chose, and these, the word apostle means one who is sent. So he's choosing specific people that he's really going to teach, spend time with, and, and really pour into. So who are they? Simon. Okay, Andrew? Yeah, his brother. James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Philip. Uh, uh, Bartholomew's another name is Nathaniel. I'm going to write that one down because I don't know how to spell it. Bartholomew. Nathaniel. Cool. Matthew and Thomas. Matthew. Amass <coughs> AS. Sweet. Um James and oh no no, I was that, sorry. James, yes, James, the son of Alpha, 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 Yep. And Simon called the Z lot. Judas, the son of James. And Judith. Judas the scariot who do who also became a trader. Sweet. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Sweet, twelve apostles. We got twelve of them. Uh, Bartholomew, um, or Bartholomew, is also named Nathaniel. Do um, you see that in? <laughs> um, so we got twelve people who Jesus specifically chose to be his apostles, to really pour into, to teach, and to spend heaps of time with. Great. So, what's this? What's the question? The, I know, I threw it away because it wasn't writing. Now it's, I'm just going to leave it to die. Slow, painful death. Losing all of its moisture. Jesus in John 14 is talking to his apostles. You're really, you're really upset by this, aren't you? This pen. I'm literally, I'm going to pick it up later, but now, now since you're making a big hubbub about it, I'll pick it up now. Jesus in John 14, he's talking with his apostles, specifically the 12 that are here. Not just anybody, but specifically these apostles. And he's talking to them, and this is actually called in the upper room, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. He talks with them about a lot of different things. And here he talks in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Holy Spirit is the helper. So later on and we know that in Acts the Holy Spirit came to, upon the apostles in Pentecost. And that's the helper. They're going he's going to bring to remembrance all that Jesus has said so that way they can write it down. Later on, two chapters later, but still only the same people in John 16, three, 13 to 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he, hears, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So God is empowering his apostles, the apostles of Jesus, to write things down, to remember things, and d- dictating what they're going to write. So he very similar to that of the Old Testament prophets. God said, thus says the Lord, write this down, put this in a book. Sometimes he said, eat the book, which is weird. What? Yeah, there's like two people in the Bible where he says, here, eat this book. It'll taste like honey, but be sour in your stomach. So, the apostles have authority given to them by Jesus and the Holy Spirit to write things down. In 2 Peter uh, 3.2, Beloved, I write to you in the second epistle, in both which I stir your pure minds by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. He's writing about the prophets and the apostles together as equal authority to write from God. Peter. Simon, whose also name is Peter. That's this one right here. He's an apostle. 1 Corinthians 2 9, written by Paul and 13. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, and what God has prepared for those who love him. And we apart this in his words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So Paul, saying we, where is that? Is that the right one? Yes. And we yes so Paul this is one Corinthians um, two nine and Sophonies if you read the beginning of uh, Corinthians it's Paul and Sothenes. most of the time Paul would have someone who would di- would write down what he's saying because Paul was getting old to the point where sometimes he couldn't write and he would write in large letters um, and we so Paul and Sophonies impart these words taught by human not by human wisdom but by the Spirit showing he had the authority that what he was saying actually wasn't even what he was saying, but it was taught by the Spirit. Once again, we have more. Same book, 1 Corinthians. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or, a spirit or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Just like the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. This is a command. It's huge. I'm commanding you to do these things. I have the authority to do that. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you, showing that Christ has power and is speaking through Paul in what he is writing. So, we see that the apostles have authority and power to write these things that they are writing. And then we see, on top of that, sometimes the Old Testament and New Testament are put together or in the same level of importantness, if that's a word. Importantness? I'm going to make it a word. Importantness. Woo! That's a lot of scripture, right? So, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, and also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So, this is written by Peter, an apostle. Peter is writing about what Paul is writing. Also our beloved Paul, according to wisdom given to him, has written to you that, people who have, which are untaught, they twist their own destruction the other scriptures. Now, the only, most of the other scriptures that they had, they had some of Paul's, but he's also talking about the Old Testament. 51 times this word scriptures is used. It's the word graphe in Greek. 51 times in the New Testament. And all of them are talking about the Old Testament, and two times it's used, which one is here, talking about Old Testament and what Paul is writing, or the New Testament. In 1 Timothy, this is written by Paul, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially for those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. This first quotation, you shall not muzzle an ox, it's from Deuteronomy 25.4, that's in the Old Testament. And Luke 10.7, that's the New Testament. Calling them both for the scriptures, both. The scripture says this and that, Old Testament, New Testament. They are of equal value, they are of equal importance. Both of them are the word of God. So, move along. We're going to look at what's called the fingerprints of God. How we chose per se, what the New Testament has in it. And I'll read them out to you. Authorship. The author author was known to be an apostle, then it has instant approval. It's written by someone called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so therefore what he's writing, we can be sure to know that it was what God wanted. Acceptance. Early church accepted the book as scripture. One of the biggest things about us being 2,000 years after, almost 2,000 years after the writings of these books, we don't have any personal experience as to, okay, oh yeah, I've heard Paul speak. He was, he was at church the other day, and I know him, and I know that he's, you know, of the Lord, and he's, what he's saying is true and right. We don't have that. we are thousands of years separated from that. And so we look at early church. What did they say about the scriptures? What did they say about the book? What did they say about what was being written? because they knew, they understood, they were in the context of these things. And back in the day, during these times, people were seeing what the church was doing and wanting to be a part of that, and they were writing their own books, like, oh, cool, I'm going to write scripture too and put it in there. But then people in the church would read that and say, whoa, 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 who is this person? I don't know who he is. So they didn't accept a lot of things. Some things were questioned, and they would come together and say, okay, what's going on here? Why, what is this book? And they look at the book, and they'll go through this. Is it authentic? Does it tell the truth of God, man, and salvation? If there's something in there that's questionable, like there's one book called the Gospel of Thomas. At the end, the very end, it talks about this um, discourse between Jesus and his disciples, talking about Mary, um, saying essentially that she had to become male to then inherit the kingdom of God. They looked at this and they said, ah, nah, nah, that's definitely not what Jesus taught. We were around then, so we're not going to include it. It's not authentic. It does not talk properly about what God, uh, about God, man, and salvation. And the living and alive, the early church believed that the word of God was living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between bone and marrow. That's from Hebrews Hebrews 11, nope, 12 something. it had the ability to change lives. It had the ability to talk to you, to speak to you in your current situation. Many times, if you're studying the Bible, reading the Bible, you might find, like, wait a second, How? like, that's literally talking about what I'm going through right now. Or someone just said that verse, and I'm reading it here. It's living and active. It cha- It doesn't change. It brings itself forward and shows you things that you otherwise you would have just not seen. So it's really cool. Definitely be in your Bible. I've always encouraged that. Um, So those are the four fingerprints of God. But what about Mark? Matthew, Mark. There's not a Mark here. Mark's not one of the apostles. That's weird. Luke. Oh, there's not a Luke. Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Jude, Hebrews. First of all, we don't know who really exactly who wrote Hebrews. So who's Jude? You have Judas, two of them. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, which, binds you, in the New Testament, whenever there's a Judas written down, it usually tells you whether it's a good one or the bad one. As we don't like the bad one. It always says the one who betrayed Jesus, or nothing, which means it's the good one. Um, also, Jude, his full name is Judas. They chose to change the title of the book so that way people didn't get confused. So Jude. These aren't apostles. Well, let's go back to the fingerprints. Eh, button. Authorship, known do to be apostle. Sweet. Well, Mark and Luke. Hmm, Let's look at those. Mark was often around with Peter. Mark was one of these gospel writers who went to different people, asked questions, and put together his gospel. Most of it came from Peter. Well, Peter, Simon Peter, he's an apostle. And we know that he was with Peter constantly, and we know that Peter, um, through other writings, affirmed what Mark was writing. Cool. Uh, Luke, Luke and Acts. Um, We look in the book of Acts. Luke kind of writes the whole book of Acts, and he's the writer and author of it. And there's a part, I don't know, three quarters of the way through that starts talking, says we. It's called the we section of Acts. He's writing down what Paul is doing on his missionary journeys. He's writing we because he's with Paul. Cool. Anyone eagle eyed? I've said a couple things that might, well, wait a second, what about Paul? Is Paul an apostle? He says he's an apostle, nearly in every single one of his epistles. He says, Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus Christ. And nearly in every one of his epistles, he defends his apostleship. What's the story of Paul? Oh, you have your, uh, your Bibles, right? Go to uh, Acts chapter, is it 9? I have it written down here, but not the actual place. Do, 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 It's quite early on. <coughs> do, do. Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Nope. Where is it? Why do I have this here? That's verse 3. Yeah, chapter 9. Here it is. It's called the Damascus Road. It says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He then fell to the ground, this is Paul speaking, or this is talking about Paul, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what must be done. And in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, it says, this is Paul talking about what happened after that. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel from gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor as I taught it, but came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you, you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation in being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me, separated me from my mother's room, and I called through his grace to reveal, he called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer, confer with the flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia, and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days, but saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So Paul, what is understood from that section, Paul was called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle and was taught by Jesus Christ for three years through revelation and therefore has been made an apostle. So Paul... It's interesting. Some people see Paul as replacing Judas, who hung himself on a cross. Well, or... they voted for someone to replace him. Was it such an ass, isn't it? Or who? Matthias? Yeah, Matthias was right. Uh, they voted um, to him to, to be a uh, an apostle, and some people believe that maybe the... the They voted this before Pentecost, didn't they? They did. So they voted for him to be a, an apostle before Pentecost. We don't have any books by Matthias, so we don't know the full story, but some people uh, understand or believe that Paul is the true um, replacement for Judas Iscariot. So Paul... The apostle confirms buttons, Luke and Acts. Because when Luke's with Paul in the journeys, he's like, hey, what's going on? Luke writes it down and then publishes it. What's interesting, Luke and Acts are pretty much one story. They uh, Luke finishes and then you go to Acts and it's he's writing to the same person. I forget the name of the guy. Um, yeah, Theophilus, yes. Fun name, Theophilus. Um, Jude, well, who's Jude? Jude is the brother of Jesus. Firstly, it wasn't uh, early or accepted by early uh, church people simply because of the quotation of one Enoch, which is an apocryphal book. But it was accepted in virtue of what's in it and the fact that he knew Jesus. He was the brother of Jesus, and so they look at the acceptance the authenticity about what it's talking about, it falls in line with what the rest of New Testament scriptures say. It's also living and active. We still read it today, and we still get a bunch of things from it. And then Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the biggest thing, it's amazing. The things it talks about with Jesus and salvation, and how it says here, uh, it is accepted not due primarily to belief, of a Pauline authorship, because some people believe that Paul wrote it, but rather the intrinsic qualities of the book. People read it and they say, "Wow, it's true. It does talk cor- correctly about man, God and salvation, but also it has such depth to it, such power in what it says. And the early church has accepted it from the beginning. Some people say that it is Paul. some people not sure. Some people read the Greek and they're like, "That doesn't sound the way like Paul talks, etc. So we're not sure who exactly wrote it, but what is written in it is true. And you look at the New Testament, and you kind of have two sections or three sections. You have the Gospels, you then have Epistles, and then you have um, more narration. So we have Acts and uh, Romans, Revelation. The Gospel is the written down things, written down of what, um, where's my note on that? what Jesus Christ did oh that was weird that's odd. I thought I wrote that down Anywho at the end of the book of John I'll turn there myself. So gospels are writing down what Jesus did. John is the last gospel that is recorded. He says this in chapter uh, chapter 21, verse 25. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written by one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. There are so many other things that Jesus said <clears throat> that we don't have, but the apostles um, were told, were talked, ta- taught about by Jesus Christ. And so the epistles are the dissecting of this. Breaking it apart, teaching people how to deal with certain things from what they learn from the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Excuse me. So, those are kind of the uh, things about specifically from the scripture um, why that is scripture. Excuse me. Will there be any more books? Well, we do know um, that if it's written by apostles, and confirmed by apostles, are there apostles anymore? Well, the word apostle simply means sent one, and we're sent to the world, so in a way we're apostles, but the what they call the um, office of apostleship is ended. Apostles knew Jesus personally. We see these guys lived three three years with Jesus, and this uh, yeah, actually that's interesting. Three years with Jesus in ministry. This guy was taught by Jesus three years in the, in the wilderness in Syria. They are apostles. They are no longer here. We have a wonderful relationship with Jesus, but we don't know him. We aren't sit and taught by him at his feet anymore. We didn't see him before he was exalted. We didn't see him after his death. We just have the hope that we are in him and we'll be with him in heaven. That's where he is now. So, unfortunately, there are no more apostles today, but we have their writings. This is my iPad. This is not the Bible. We have his writings here. So no, there will not be any more books. There's a finality to the Bible. Oh no, it's on the floor again. Are you going to be upset? It's not good. It's got the cap on. Okay, we're safe. Hebrews 1. Why don't I have this in my notes? I have to go there myself. Oh, there it is. Ah, found it. Hebrews 1. Hebrews um, 1. 1 through 2. Long ago, and in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Long ago, it was through the prophets, but now it's through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, through his apostles, done. Apostles are done. They're they're in heaven, waiting for us to join them. And in Revelation 22, 18 through 19, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will, make, will add them, add to them the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book in this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. It's talking specifically, initially, about Revelation, the book itself, but there's not a co- it's not a coincidence that it's also at the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible. Genesis has to be the first book. It talks about in the beginning, talks about the past, where we all started from, and Revelation has to be at the end because it talks about the future. So don't add, don't remove. The Bible is finished. How do we know we have the right books in canon of Scripture? Well, we looked at the fingerprints of God. We looked at why we have these particular books. The early church looked at these books, and yes, there were... um, the councils that chose, okay, we're going to have these books. And they looked at those books and why they should be there, and we saw the fingerprints of God, why they're there. So we know, firstly, from that. Secondly, and most importantly, it's we trust in Jesus. We trust in God that it's come from him, through him, and what we have today is what we're meant to have. Are there any books that deserve a place in the canon? Well, we do know in the scriptures, there are a couple times where it hints and talks about other letters that are written to churches by people who are apostles or have been approved by apostles, but we don't have those letters. And once again, we go back to, we know, God's sovereignty. God leads us to have what we have. If we don't have them, there's a reason. They might be good books to read, but we just don't have them. They're just lost to time. So no, unfortunately, we don't have any other books. Fortunately, we have exactly what God wants us. So the canon of Scripture is closed today. What we have is what we have, and it's plenty, plenty enough for what we need. There's so many good things in there, and people spend their lives studying this. Why would you want more? (laughs) We're never going to get through it, and there's been thousands of years where we've been looking at Scripture, and there are still things that we're like, "Uh, I don't know how to make heads or tails of this. We don't need more. (laughs) But what we have is what we have. What we have is, is good, true, and proper. So we've done the Old Testament. We've done the New Testament. Now, I wish Liam was here, because he, he brought this question up, and this is why I'm doing this. We're going to talk about Bible translations, because I have, where most of you are holding a New King, or New King James Version. Some of you might have an ESV. Some of you might have a LKFV. That's not a real one. That's just putting letters together. What's the difference? Why are there so many different ones? Where do they come from? How do they work? What's going on? Why, can, why can't we all just read one Bible and then we can all follow along? Because sometimes when someone's reading a different Bible translation, you're like, I don't know where they are. He said he was in verse 6, but it doesn't look the same. So, let's look at that. What is translation? Any of you know other words in another language? Surely you do. I know you do. I know you do. Come on. You know Afrikaans? A little bit. I know, I probably said it wrong, right? No, I was going to say that it's sweet that you think that I can speak another language other than English. I already suck at English. But you at least I know other words, right? If I say Buenos Dias, what am I saying? (laughs) Oh, Bueno, good, Dias, Day. I know, but it depends on the. If you translate it word for word, "diás" is day. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you walk around the street, what do you hear? Or let's wait for that one. Hold on, back up. Maybe say kiora. What does that mean? Hello. Also means. Oh, two different things. Wow. Is it easy, or how does one translate? You can do it multiple different ways. You can say. exactly words for words, buenos dias, good day. Guten Morgen, good Morgen. Or you can kind of say, oh, he's saying hello. Buenos dias. It means hello. Right? A couple different ways you can do it. Is it hard? Languages are hard. Languages aren't easy to to, to know. I I know German a little bit, but I don't know all of it. It's hard to go through because it's different rules. It's difficult. And can you get really accurate? Yeah, and some things. Some things it's quite easy to do, and other things that were quite technical, you might, we'll go through this. It might be a bit more difficult to do. So we have word for word. Buenos dias. Good day. Or, thought for thought, well, he's just saying hello. Or good morning. Or how are you? This is also called formal equivalence dynamic equivalence literal or a paraphrase I'm talking kind of approximately what he's saying button work please button thank you translating's not easy languages are difficult they're all different they have different rules they have different sentence structures they have different words they have different alphabets it's hard and there are so many things that language they a lot of language is rooted in the culture of that language. Something means something special because it's the culture. And if you don't know the culture, you're not going to understand really what's being said. Word for word doesn't work all the time. And we'll go through what word for word looks like. I'll show you why. And there cannot be a true word for word translation. To tell us die. Anyone know where this comes from? It's in the Bible, it's Greek. To tell us die. This is what Jesus said on the cross when he died, as he died. You know what it means? Anyone have a guess or a gander? It is finished. <gasps> wow, you must be a Bible scholar. You know a Greek word? Whoa. It is finished. Hold on, wait a second. It, it's one word in the Greek, but three in the English. That's weird. Well, it's because it needs three. To tell us what it is, in English, we don't have one word that means it is finished. We have three words that means it is finished. And there's no other way we can say it. It, whatever it is, is the position it's in, finished, what it's done. Schadenfreude: This is a German word. Anyone know what this one means? Why would you know? She's two languages re- removed from, from German. Getting enjoyment out of someone else's misfortune. <laughs> Someone's on the ice skating rink and they go, poof, poof, and they fall down and you laugh at it. They, had to, they made a word because they liked it. They, they, <laughs> they, love, they love Schadenfreude. So they had to make a word for it. So it takes one, two, three, four, five, six words to describe what this word means. In German, you just say Schadenfreude. and are like, oh yeah, I get it. There's not a single English word that describes this. It's a sentence. So, word for word can't always work. Because if you had a, a German sentence and you translated it word for word, you'd have to write a sentence within a sentence to describe the word. So, the closest we have for word for word is an interlinear. And I'll show you what an interlinear looks like. That's weird. That's an interlinear. This is an interesting interlinear. This is, what is this? Read the read the English text. Tell me what it is. In the beginning God made the heavens and the earth, but the earth was unseen and unready, and darkness was upon the abyss, and the Spirit of God bore upon the... What is this? Genesis 1, verse 1. But this is also... It's originally written in Hebrew, but this is here an interlinear of the Greek, which is called the Septuagint. 70 Greek scholars, Jewish Greek scholars, translated the Hebrew into Greek. This is an interlinear. It gives you the Greek word and the English word. The Greek word, English word. Greek word, English word. Greek word, English word. You'll notice sometimes there's a a the or an added word that isn't precisely in the Greek. N, in, uh. I don't know that letter yet. I'm learning this. I'm learning Greek, so bear with me. The beginning. There's no the here. The, the in Greek is usually ho. Um, but the beginning, that word is beginning. There's no the in front of it. They had to add it so that way we can understand it in English. God made. Theos is right there. This is the word for made. There's an extra little letter that is type of, I like a word. So then there's three letter, three words here, but one word in English, or two words in English. The heaven and the earth but the earth was unseen, see this is day, that's a the, but it's not here, and unready, that's a really long word to mean unready, whoa, and the darkness was, oh, wait a second, there's no other word was, but we needed in English to understand what's going on, because there's two different languages, upon the abyss and the spirit of, oh, of, where's the word of in the Greek, oh, it's not there, but we need it in English to understand what's going on, otherwise the spirit God it sounds weird. The spirit god. Oh, wait, there's different gods? We need the word of to understand that it means, it doesn't mean that there's a different god, but the spirit of God bore upon the waters and God said, theos, that's the word for said, Epion. epion and let there be, whoa, three words in English, but one word in the Greek. Let there be light and there was, oh, Two words, one word. So you see how word for word doesn't always you can't just translate it easily. You have to add other words. And sometimes you might read in your Bible, there's you're reading along, and all of a sudden there's a word that's in italics. You know what italics look like? All the words are like this. The letters just go like this. You seen that before? Yeah. That's the italic is there to tell you that this word specific this word wasn't specifically in the original text, but it's, re- it's added here so that way you can understand what's going on. Whew! This TV, either this TV is hot or the aircon needs to get turned on. It's hot up here. Okay. This is fun. This is gonna take a little bit of thought. Are we guys are we ready? You can turn that off, please. Are we ready? Are you thinking? Are you conscious, because this is going to be quite a fun little exercise here, okay? I'm going to go to my other notes. If you need to, get up, shake yourself, because I'm going to teach you a little bit of Greek. You ready? Come on! I'm excited about this. You've got to get excited, too. Okay. So, I'm going to write a word, uh, sentence in English, and then I'm going to add some Greek... Rules okay apostles thank you for writing what you wrote and approving our New Testament but now we need to do something else whoo Oh no <laughs> yep, oh. Baby, the kid held the baby. Quite simple. In English we have rules. We have sentence structure which tells us what each thing is. This, the kid, is the subject. The baby is what's called the direct object. And that's a verb. We put it in this order so we know what each thing is. If we put the baby first, it means the baby is holding the kid. It doesn't make sense, it's not right, you can't, the baby cannot hold a kid, kid bigger than baby, can't do. So we have this order that helps us understand what's going on. The subject is the one that's doing the, op, uh, the action, and the direct object is what is receiving the action. We have that. In Greek, that's not needed. The order is not specifically important to understand what each thing is. Um, Instead, they add endings to words. We have something similar to this. He, if I could have a better marker, I would so love it. Talked to him. You know, this is a subject because it ends in he, it begins with the same letter. Him is the direct object. You can't write him talk to he. That's weird. It doesn't sound right. We know what each thing is because of how it ends. Could I have a better marker, Disney, if you wouldn't mind? Because it's... I'm going to run out of ink on this one. They're both in the third person, but we know he is the subject because it ends with an e, and him is the object because it ends in M. So the endings in Greek change the... Um, what's it called? What each thing is in the sentence? So we'll add something like that to... Oh, wow. Oh. Can I taste the rainbow? No, Oh. Let's use a dark color because I need a dark color. Do brown? Oh, that's not where that goes. Whew. Oh no. Oh, no, it's on the floor. Oh, no. Brown. Cool. Oh, much better. Love it. So endings signify what part of speech it is in Greek. So we're going to rewrite the word. Um, so to sew a subject, we're subject. We're gonna make subject C T, not T. An object. Okay. So if it's a subject, we're gonna add the ending on, O N, and if it's a direct object, it'll be a don. So we'll rewrite our first sentence. The kid on held the baby don. We know from this and from this that this is the subject, that's the direct object because it ends in a certain way. So we could write it, the baby don, held the kid on. because it ends in certain um, endings, the baby don is still the direct object and this is still the subject. So the kid on is holding holding the baby don, not the baby not the other way around. Cool, that's so cool. All right. So now we can put things in different orders. So like held the baby Don, the kid on, well, we're really focusing on the holding. That's what's really important. Or the kid on holding the baby Don, the kid, the fact that the kid is holding the baby Don is really important. That's really cool. All right, we'll add some more. Man, they're already going. This is gonna, I'm going long. This is different. Last time I stopped so short, we had to play a game. Okay. We're now gonna change and add some things. We're gonna say that This is the singular, and we're going to add a plural, os. We can do the same thing over here, singular, plural, dos, which is nice because in Spanish, dos means two, plural. So now we can say the kid on held the baby dos. That's still the direct object, but now it's plural. Verb stays the same. This is still a singular subject. So now we know that the kid on held multiple babies. We don't know how many or if it was at the same time, but hey, now it's multiple babies. We can do the same thing. The baby dos held the kid on. It still means that the kid held multiple babies. Or we can say the kid held the baby Don. Now we have two multiple kids holding one baby. Maybe not at the same time. We don't know. But now we can show that. Let's add another level. Are you ready? This is crazy. It takes a lot of thought, mental thought. OK. We're going to add, I'm going to rewrite this gender. Ooh, touchy subject. Let's see. It's for subjects, I'm going to make a table. If it's neuter and singular, it's on. If it's male and singular, it's an. If it's female and singular, it's n. If it's plural and neuter, it's os. If it's male, it's as. And if it's female, it's s. Oh boy, that's for the subject. For the direct object, quite similar, you can extrapolate. Neuter, it's gonna be don, singular. Plural, would be dos. If it's male, singular, it's gonna be dan. If it's male, plural, it's gonna be das. If it's female, singular, it's des, or des. And if it's female, plural, it's des, or sorry, sorry, den. And then, is hey yeah sorry no oh. so we can add so many things to be very specific as to what's happening with still using the only the same amount of words what do we got figure this one out The kid S held the baby den. What's happening here? You're close. How many is this? Two girls, or m- plural, multiple girls. So we have plural, female, Their kids, and that's still the subject. How many is this? One, and what's the uh, the gender? Den, female. So we have multiple little girls holding multiple little babies that are female. In the same amount of words. <laughs> You're right, singular, good eye. You can write it so many different ways and due to time, I won't. You can say so much in the little, and that's, that's an actual thing in Greek. So sometimes you're reading your Bible where things are like, how did you get that? How do you know that? Well, it's because of how Greek grammar works. It can be really specific, which is one, thing, one cool thing about Greek. All right, let's finish up. That's word for word. It becomes difficult to read Because of the way that Greek is put together, sometimes you have sentences which are hard to read. There's big words in there to try to explain what's going on instead of having to write a whole shebang of what's going on. You use big words in English like justification, propitiation, all those things. But it's true to the original text, what it says. It's true. There's nothing added. Bye. Have a good day. And there's nothing left out. And also allows the reader to find out what the scripture is actually saying. It can be difficult, and you have to spend a lot of time and look at it so closely, but you put the work into it to understand what it's saying. Example of word-for-words, you have New King James Version, which is what we typically use here, New American Standard Version, the original King James, and the ESV are typical word-for-word word translations. The hard for word-for-word for word is to stay close to the original, to, to really um, not depart from what it's saying. We'll move on to thought-for-thought. Der Ball ist rot und das ist mein Lieblingsfarbe. It's German. A word-for-word word translation, this is actually literally word-for-word. Word. Der, the ball, ball, ist, is, rot, red, und, and das, that, ist, is, mein, my, Lieblingsfarbe, favorite color. Although Lieblings in color are flipped. Uh, Anyway, a paraphrase or a thought for thought might say Nate's ball is colored red, Nate's favorite color is red. It's saying the same thing. It's just using different words to say it. Maybe a bit simpler. This is a very simple sentence. It becomes much more removed or sound uses much different words if you're maybe reading one of Paul's letters where he's going through a difficult subject. So you can see that there's a difference, but when there comes a much more uh, t- um, complex sentence, the differences kind of get even bigger and further apart. It's not really a translation. Translation is taking words and tra- translating them from one language to another. This is taking thoughts. It's okay in Greek. It's saying this, so I'm going to say it this way in the English. It's close, but it. Opens up for trend or um, figuring out, or the, the 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 quote unquote translator is having to um, they're semi translating they're, they're what's called paraphrasing the word. Their problems, they're the most removed from the original text. The words aren't word for word, so there might be a word in there that they've used to describe it, and you might look at that and be like, oh, that's in the Bible. Whoa, maybe it's not. You need to look closely. They rely on the person translating to rewrite the message in a different way. This guy translating, he's looking at it and coming to conclusions that might not be right or proper or correct. Being human, we can get it wrong. So I don't like to study from these. But and so I start trying to suggest if you're studying, studying from a word-for-word translation. However, it's easy to read. You can read these and they kind of explain things, so it's good for casual Bible reading, for young readers, easy to read, and great for new Christians who, they pick up one of Paul's letters and they're like, I don't know what to make of this. It's too many big words I don't understand. It kind of breaks it down for them. Here we have different translations. I've written for you which type of translation they are and kind of where they sit on the spectrum. So King James in Psalm 79, verse eight, <clears throat> you remember not against, oh remember not against us former iniquities, let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us for you are brought very low. That's a word for word. Another word for word says this, do not hold us responsible for the guilty deeds of our forefathers. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us for we have become very low. Oh, well, that's quite similar. New International, it's still on the word for word side, but going towards the middle, do not hold against us the sins of past generations. May your mercy come quickly to meet us for we are in desperate need. Okay, yeah, it's kind of translating what this means. Very low is meaning they're in desperate need. <clears throat> oh, this is New Living Bible. This is on the uh, paraphrase. Do not let us, do not hold us guilty for our former sins. Let your tender-hearted mercies meet our needs, for we are brought low to the dust. Okay, New Living Translation definitely on the paraphrase. size. do not hold us dif- uh, guilty for the sins of our ancestors. Let your compassion. Quickly meet our needs, for we are on the brink of despair. This is word for word. Literally means we are being brought low. This translates it, oh, they're on the brink of despair. They're brought down. Or it, it breaks it down for you. Do not make us pay for the sins of our ancestors. Have pity. And come quickly, we are completely helpless. It's, it, word for words keep saying that they are low, but they keep translating it slightly differently. Is it wrong? No. Is it... Extrapolating, yes. The message, definitely a paraphrase. Don't blame us for the sins of our parents. Hurry up and help. We are at the end of our rope. Where is where's the, where's the word rope in the original? Is it giving you a different picture in English that we would understand? Yes. Is the word rope in there, or is the word end in there? No. So that's why there's differences in paraphrases and in word for words. Galatians 3, 24. Mainly, they're looking at this word, paedagogos. Paedagogos. It's a fun word to say. How is it translated in different um, translations? Here in the ESV, it says it as guardian. Another one says it as schoolmaster. Another one says it as tutor. Another one says it oh, here's a guardian. Teacher. Disciplinarian, tutors, teacher, and guide. It's difficult to translate a single word sometimes because paradagagos was someone who would take kids from home Walk with them down the street, take care of them, look after them, and teach them. But there's many different ways you can say that. Unless, unless you want a whole sentence describing what paradigagos means, you use one word, and so you see how there's difference. You can look at the Living Bible versus the English Standard Version. So then the, laws are gar- was our, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Let me put it another way. The Jewish laws were our teacher and guide until Christ came to give us right standing with God through our faith. It's quite close, but giving more flesh to it. So that way you don't have to look at this and do research and understand what a paradegagos was, but it's a teacher and guide. Does that make sense? Why there are differences in translations? How some, they're not not the word of God, but you have to be careful when you read them to understand what's being said. And when you choose a translation, understanding the differences between them. <laughs> you have any questions? No questions? You have to think, sit and think about what just happened here. That's pretty crazy. And what just happened there? Okay, sweet. Who wants to pray? Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. It's so easy. You just talk to God. Just say thank you, God. Yeah, thank you for teaching us this message and Woo Amen. All right. Thank you all. was come in Did I? How long did I go?